0: I've had a lot of failures. I mean, you know, the thing that everybody needs to realize that if they're listening to this is you have to, you know, go through the school of hard knocks and, and have resilience yep. in order to be successful because you're going to have to walk through a lot of
1: walls in
0: order to get yep. to the
1: You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guest as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs. But there's so much more to this story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huber.
2: You're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Leonard Armato. How you doing, man?
1: I'm good, Eric. Good to see you again.
2: And always love to talk to you. You too. So got to take it all the way back. You know, did you, as a four-year-old, were you already like trying to power broker deals, you know, starting different leagues, like the chairman of your soccer team? Like, how did it all start?
0: No, 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 no. no. I had no idea what I wanted to do. My my dad was a university professor, and he and, had a and where he was born in Brooklyn, New York. The mm-hmm. uh, the parents, uh, his parents were Italian immigrants, yep. and they came over just before World War One. And and uh, you know he grew up and enlisted when he was 17 years old in World War Two. And you know his neighborhood, which was called Bensonhurst, is renowned for being you know, the home of homegrown mafiosi. So, I mean, all of his friends, they none of them went to school. They were all in, in the mob. Yeah. And he enlisted, went into the army, decided to become a, a boxer. So he was a professional boxer. And then he just, he met my mom and she said, look, I don't want to be, you know, married to a boxer. It's too you know, difficult yeah. for me to watch. And he said, okay. And, and, he, and he heard about the importance of education. So he started Taking night courses at NYU, he got straight A's, and then he got a scholarship to Columbia University. And he realized that education was his love. He loved learning and he uh-huh. loved teaching people. So he he got a Ph.D. in English and comparative literature, and then ultimately landed at the University of Southern California, where he taught for 35 years. Got it. And I just watched him like teach people, really generous with his knowledge, and just loved helping people without any kind of Thought of remuneration or being compensated for his, you know, his giving, and I would watch him and go, gosh, it's really great how he loves to help people. But I'd like to get paid more because teachers don't get paid much. So we were always kind of struggling, you know, to, you know, not not to make ends meet, but just we we didn't have a very lavish lifestyle. Not that I needed, you know, something lavish, but I knew I wanted to make more money. My mom was always like, we don't have any money, and I'm not. i look. I said, look, I love the idea of giving giving to people, but I also want to figure out how I can make money. So I heard. Well, people who are lawyers make money. So I thought, okay, I'll go to law school. I don't know what I wanna do, but that will give me the tools to go out and figure out what I wanna do. So that was kind of my, my thought process.
2: Yeah, makes Maybe sense. A- quick question, a couple of quick questions. One, when was your dad born? What year? 1926. Okay, so my grandfather was born in Brooklyn on the Brooklyn meat market. His best friend since kindergarten was Paul Castellano. Oh, wow. And my, my uncle's God, my uncle, who is my godfather, his godfather was Paulie wow. until he was shot by John Gotti. So I wonder was, if they came across each other. I don't know. And he was born probably 26, 27, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'm sure my dad knew
0: of him. I mean, his friends, I mean, I remember when I was a little kid, his friends were like fingers and blackie and yeah. you know, all these crazy Nick rubber this, and we had these <laughs> crazy names. And You know, the thing that was interesting is when he got out, he was like the only one in the neighborhood to get out of the mob. Mm -hmm. And when he'd come back to the neighborhood, he was kind of revered because he'd somehow gotten himself out and he was a professor. So we'd walk around and people would be really respectful of him. And uh, it was just sort of a fun sight to see because in those neighborhoods, as you probably remember, yeah. everybody knows each other. Yeah, you know, everybody lives right next to each other, and it's pretty—it's yeah. pretty cool. On one, on one hand, on the other hand, it's a little limiting.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's small world. And so, as a kid, like growing up, you know, with that sort of money side of it, and lawyers make money. Were you? Was there an entrepreneurial side to you, or were you always like? Because to go into law school, and a lot of times people go to law school, develop that intelligence and that logic-based thinking and everything, and then become an entrepreneur later. Or were you, did you actually have it in you in terms of starting things or doing that side of things?
0: No, I wasn't like one of those young entrepreneurs. I mean, I had yep. like a paper out like everybody, yep. and I always worked jobs like everybody. But I wasn't yep. like that kid that like figured out how to you know, build some kind of like amazing business when he was 16 or 17 years old. No, it wasn't me. I, I played sports. Uh And I actually went to college on a basketball scholarship, and I sort of thought all the skills that I'm learning being a college athlete are going to apply to business because it's all about teamwork and hustle and perseverance. And, you know, those qualities and characteristics as a business person, you ultimately utilize to be successful. So I went on to law school. And then I thought I wanted to be a trial lawyer because, you know, lawyers are you know usually trial lawyers. And so yeah. I came out and discovered I just wasn't passionate about it. And my basketball coach said, well, you should try to become a sports lawyer because all of these athletes are losing their money and they yeah. have all these shady characters representing them. So I really think that would be something that could combine something that you're really good at with the skill set that you have.
2: So, oh, so you started, that was So right out of law school, you were kind of like, I don't want to be a trial attorney. And so you had someone give you this recommendation. You're like, great, I'm going to go in that direction. So you, you, you found that early direction pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I found the early direction after about a year or two of like being a, a lawyer, working a lot in the library and kind of thinking like my life has no meaning. I, I'm not, I have no purpose. I don't know what I'm doing to impact, you know, lives of others by sitting here in the library, writing law memos. Yeah. So, You know, my coach's suggestion really hit home. But the only problem, Eric, was I didn't have any clients. And when I first started in the business, sports agents were kind of like lone wolves. It's not public today where everybody knows everybody's salary. You work for a big company and they all represent athletes. It was like there were these, you know, sort of lone wolves out there that had secret information that nobody else had access to. And if you weren't in the club, It was really, really hard to break in.
2: Yeah. And so what happened? How'd you get in?
0: Well, it's kind of an interesting story, but there's a a great NFL football player. He's, You know, this is my first client, and unless you're a big NFL fan, you might not know who he is, but his name is Ronnie Lott, Mm -hmm. one of the all-time great defensive backs and one of the greatest players in NFL history. And he was at USC at the time, like one of the very, very, very top players in the NFL draft. He so happened to play basketball and football at USC. And my basketball coach was his basketball coach. So yeah. he said to me, I can set you up with a meeting with Ronnie Lott. And I said, oh, okay, great. But you know, how am I going to convince him to have me, somebody who has no experience, represent him? He's one of the most coveted athletes in the entire draft. So he said, you'll figure it out think of your value proposition. So I said value proposition and I started thinking about that value proposition. What does that mean? It means what's unique about me? What's special about me? What sets me apart from everybody else? So we go into a lunch meeting. This is my one shot there. So Ronnie Lott sits down and he says, I got three questions for you. Number one, how many clients do you have? My answer was, well, I don't have any clients. He said, okay, well, uh, well, what kind of big firm are you with? And I said, well, I, I'm just on my own trying to break into the sports representation business. he said, okay, well, tell me about all your accomplishments that would give me confidence that you could do a great job for me. Well, I said, well, I'm really kind of a young starting, you know, I'm just sort of starting up as a lawyer. I don't have any big accomplishments. And he said, well, you know, this is really nice that you wanted to meet with me, but I've got the biggest and the best agents in the business trying to... You know, get me to represent represent them, and I don't think that what you're saying really convinces me much. And I said, well, just before you end the meeting, let me ask you three questions. And he said, okay, got it. I said, number one, what are your goals as a football player? Number two, what are your goals off the field? And number three, how do you want to be remembered? And he said, well, I want to be the best defensive back in the history of the NFL. I want to be a Hall of Famer. And he said, and off the field, I want to have car dealerships, and I want to have to be a successful businessman. And number three. I want to give back to the community and help youth in my community. And I said, wow, those are amazing goals, incredible goals. And I just want you to think for a moment that in order for you to accomplish those goals, that's going to require your representative to spend a lot of time, effort, and energy thinking about it and executing on it. And if you go with one of those really fancy agents that are trying to represent you, they probably have 30, 40, 50 clients. They'll be able to give you six, seven, eight minutes a day along with the rest of them. Yeah. And me, I could give you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I will be totally dedicated to you. You'll be my only client. And he looked at me and he goes, okay, that sounds great, but I still don't have any confidence that you can do the job. I said, well, look, let me make you an offer you can't refuse. Okay, you know about Paul Castellano. They used to make people offers they can't <laughs> refuse. Okay? So here's what I said. I said, look, Ronnie, here's the offer. Let me work for you for 30 days for free. You don't have to pay me a dime. I'll work for you. I'll prove to you that I am the best person for the job. If at the end of 30 days you don't agree with me, you don't believe wholeheartedly that I'm the best in the world for you, I will walk away. You'll owe me nothing and you will have no further obligation. What do you say? And he kind of looked around for a second. He said, Well, why don't you ask my parents if they think that's a good idea? I said, Okay, give me their number. I'll go see them right now. So I jumped in the car. And I drove, he lived by Riverside. So I drove out to Riverside. It was actually a place called Rialto near San Bernardino. So I drove out there. I got in front of Ronnie's parents. I go, Mr. and Mrs. Lott, I told your son that I wanted to prove myself to him and I will work for him for 30 days without any obligation whatsoever so that I can prove to him and to you that I'd be the best friend. And they looked at each other and go, what a nice young man. I, I I love that he believes in himself like that. And they said, okay, are we on? And they said, sure. So I called Ronnie, your parents are on. Let's go. So for the next 30 days, I, all I did was like work and over deliver yeah. and do everything. And at the at the end of the day, he signed with me. He was my first client. They won the Super Bowl that year. Next thing I know, I have 10, 12, 13, 14
2: clients. So it was like overnight. Wow. And first off, when Jerry Maguire came out, how much did that, did you laugh a little bit watching that? (laughs) Well, it's funny
0: because I spoke to Cameron Crowe, who's the the writer about this. And I actually had a scene in the movie, which was patterned after a conversation I had with him. Mm -hmm. Because what ended up happening after I signed Ronnie Lott was that uh, he was drafted by the 49ers and they weren't offering him enough money in his contract. And I had to, this is my first contract, it had to be amazing. And he wanted. He was a very proud guy, so he wanted it to be amazing. So we were holding out. So he's sitting on the sidelines for the first two weeks of training camp, and the publicity all over the place in San Francisco was just all. Awesome. I mean, they were like, "Where's Ronnie Lott?" And he's got this rookie agent and blah blah. So one night, I'm in my office. He calls me and goes, "Leonard," I said, "What?" He said, "I think I'm going to have to fire you." And I said, "Well, why?" And he said, "Well, everyone's saying that I'm not getting my deal." because you're a rookie you don't know what you're doing and i said ronnie you know obviously they're trying to divide us but you know you don't you can't believe that that's just other agents chirping in your ear that's just the 49ers wanting you to capitulate he goes look i I don't know i have to look out for my family i'll call you back Mm -hmm. so uh, he hangs up the phone now i'm just so you know until money changes hands you haven't made any money so i'm sitting here I'd worked like four or five months. I hadn't made a dime. I had no money. I couldn't even make my next rent payment. I couldn't make my next car payment. I was like praying. I was on my knees. Dear God, please don't let him fire me. Next thing into the phone calls, rings again. It's Ron. Who's Leonard? Guess what? I talked to my dad. I talked to coach. This is our basketball coach, Stan Morrison. And you know what they said? They said, you're right. They are just trying to divide us. And you know what? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not down. We we're in the foxhole together, but you've got to just what do you got to do? Show me the money, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that was the show me the money scene. Wow. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, awesome. that's what happened. He 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 stuck with me, but you know, he wanted to see results.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And so th- I assume that hit a couple of weeks later. You ended up getting something. Yeah, we got the
0: deal like within a week. Yeah. Once they realized he wasn't gonna capitulate. Yeah. That they moved up and gave him a really good deal, which we could then tell everybody what a great deal he got. And then all of a sudden, I represented
2: 11 players on the 49ers. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And then I moved into basketball. Yeah. And so, what, I mean, and so how old were you at that point, by the way?
0: I was like, well, two years out. I was probably like 25.
2: That's amazing. So 25 representing 11 of the 49ers. Yeah. One of the top players in Super Bowl team as well right
0: well, they won like four super bowls yeah they were yeah, just yeah. winning strings of super bowls with joe montana Ronnie Lott. you
2: know those, yeah. those two guys yep amazing yeah. and so how'd that progress what 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 happened next well then
0: <laughs> i started doing a lot of contracts and i'm the kind of guy that always likes to to i like challenges i like innovation so i got tired of just doing player contracts it was yeah. boring you know yeah. it's like arguing over you know little things that you know and there's, and there's no there's no creativity to it so I started getting into basketball, which was a little bit more, you had a little bit more latitude of negotiation and there were guaranteed contracts. And
2: And I'm curious, on that note, how did you scale yourself? Like you obviously, you were servicing this one guy telling him you'd be 24-7. Now you've got 12. Now you're expanding into different sports. Did you hire other agents or were you able to actually find a way to still serve the guys like you wanted to and still scale?
0: Yeah, so I was the agent, but I have people working for me you know know, i had an assistant and back in those days you needed more assistance in order to kind of make things happen now there's a lot there's tools that almost let me be self-sufficient in many ways i mean i keep my own calendar today you know where a long time ago you could never do that yeah so i hired people i I i scaled myself by just you know getting more support around me i was still the main agent then i just fortuitously was introduced to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, towards the end of his career. He had just lost all of his money. His house had burned down because his agent before me had invested in a bunch of really bad real estate deals. And he was jointly and severally liable on a $25 million loan, which is like $100 million today. And so they were about to wipe him out. And I went into the bank and negotiated with them and basically got him out of it. He paid a little bit, but he got out of it. And then yeah. we were basically trying to get him back on his feet and become financially secure again by getting him a, a deal with the Lakers and getting him, you know, endorsement deals and all that. So we I was able to kind of help him, you know, put his life back together and financial world back together. And then all of a sudden I started getting basketball clients. So I got Akeem Olajuwon, who was a great client, yep. Kevin Johnson, who was a really great client. And then I ended up getting Shaquille O'Neal. And when I got Shaq, I kind of had a Jerry moment, a Jerry Maguire moment where I thought to myself, fewer clients, more attention. Remember that scene? Yeah. Yeah. So I started thinking, maybe I can use Shaquille as a way to transform the way that athletes are represented. Instead of just being endorsers, they could actually be owners of intellectual property and license that intellectual property across platforms. Yeah. And also use technology in ways that haven't been used before. And it worked. And then I got Oscar De La Hoya, the Golden Boy, created the Golden Boy brand for him and sort of transformed the way that boxing was actually promoted. We went from promoters controlling boxing to the boxers controlling their own promotion.
2: So, so I know you've done a lot and we're rushing through this, but just to be clear, so you you met Shaq like in college, right? Yeah, and so got him. And then you just mentioned you helped start Golden Boy, which is one of the yes. biggest boxing promotion companies out there. Yes. And how did that come? Like, did you just meet Oscar de Ohio and be like, we should do something here? I got this. Like, let yeah. see, you just brushed over that stuff.
0: So. Oh, yeah. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I was representing Shaq and we, we were working on, you know, the transformation of his IP into an institution. Yeah. and. A guy that worked for me, and now I had about 20 people working for me. So, a guy that I, that was working for me, and actually he works still in the boxing business today, his name is Bruce Finkel. He worked for me for like 20 years. And Bruce comes into my office one day, and at the time he was working on Shaq Entertainment projects because we were doing mm-hmm. movies and TV and stuff. And he goes, Look, we should get in the boxing business. This guy loved boxing. Okay. He used to work for Playboy and used to go to all these, you know, uh, boxing uh, uh, parties that Hugh Hefner used to have at his place. He said, there's this guy, Oscar De and I knew who he was. He says, we should represent him because the guy that's advising him is a car dealer, you know, and and wow. he doesn't know what he's doing. So we went to the car dealer, realized the car dealer didn't know what he was doing. But the car dealer thought, well, these guys could help me look good. Yeah. So we started representing Oscar, and the car dealer was sort of off to the side. And then Oscar realized that we knew really how to do this in a way that hadn't been done before. And his promoter at the time was Bob Arum. If you remember Bob Aaron, he's still around, um, you know, it's it's which their top rank top rank is the name of his company. So at some point, Oscar started to realize through us that in a fight, he might make 10 or 12 million dollars, but Aaron might make 15 million and he wasn't putting up anything. You know, he was just, you know, talking and making the deal. And he finally realized, I could promote my own fights because I'm the draw, not him. And all the money is being put up by the pay-per-view operators or somebody else. So we started Golden Boy. We created a brand, and we launched his business at, as a boxing business. And Bruce went over to work for him.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And that's still going, right? You guys are still there' Oh, yeah, going that's going. still going. Yeah.
0: Bruce actually left Golden Boy, and he's working with Al Heyman. I don't know if you know who Al Heyman is, but they do all the fights on Fox now.
2: Got it. Awesome. Okay. So, you, I guess that was Shaq's entertainment side was where you started to go. This IP thing is working. Is that like yeah. the validation you wanted? You needed?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what we did with Shaq is we took his Dunk Man logo and we licensed it to a bunch of companies that were synergistically aligned. So, it could be a Pepsi and a Reebok and a Electronic Arts and it could be Nestle's and it could be Viacom. And it, so, we had probably a coalition. I call it a marketing coalition of probably 50 companies. And then we, I would bring them together in what I call the Shack Summit. And at the summit, they'd come together and not only get to hear about our plans, but they would also reveal their plans. And then they would all get together and, and build cross promotion. So it was almost like one plus one equals three. Yep. And being part of the coalition was almost a really cool thing for everybody.
2: Awesome. That makes sense. And with And I've heard a a little anecdote about Shaq and his shoe line, that it doesn't have the notoriety in the collectibles of Jordan, but they've sold, is it way more? Or like, I don't, I remember there's a comparison there that's insane.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, I don't know, I think he sold 125 million pairs or some crazy number of of pairs, but but- it's a very complicated story because I bifurcated Shaq's shoe business early on. So originally yeah. it was Reebok, but we also had a mass market line. Yeah. So Reebok was going upstairs. The mass yeah. market line was going downstairs. And then I actually not only bifurcated, I had another line, which was called Dunk, which was the first ever direct-to-consumer footwear company where right. you could where you could make your own footwear and over the Internet. It actually became... The foundational technology behind Nike ID.
2: Oh wow! Did you, yeah. you a, did you sell it to Nike ID or did they? Oh, no,
0: no. Okay. Unfortunately, this company went under.
2: It's one oh, of wow. my, one a...
0: of my great failures. <laughs> you know, they happen.
2: Was, you got it. When you keep swinging the bat, you're gonna miss a couple. <laughs> oh, well,
0: well. Here's what happened. This was during the first internet bubble, and I created something called digital media accounts, which was a place where digital businesses in the sports and entertainment area could be developed and grown mm-hmm. and almost think of it like a, a, a an incubator and yep. so we had i mean you wouldn't believe it we had the first ever direct-to-consumer record company the yep. first ever direct-to-consumer footwear company i owned all of pamela anderson's or we did in the company internet rights when she was the most searched person on the internet so just yeah. imagine that yeah. she had a thing called pam tv we had the first direct-to-consumer ticketing company so we had a lot of stuff going on we had It was a a really cool time. And then all of a sudden the bubble burst and and all of our investors wanted to pull out because they were afraid of what was going to happen next. So Dunk, the first ever direct-to-consumer footwear company, had to fold.
2: Wow. Did any of that, anything survive through that? I'm curious. I
0: think tickets.com came out of that.
2: Tickets.com, okay.
0: Yeah. And we actually, out of that, also we were going to do a direct-to-consumer sport, which was the ADP Pro Beach Volleyball Tour, which Uh I created. And yep. so that sort of came out of that a little bit and then I put men and women together under one umbrella with equal prize money and equal television time and it became the first women's sport that was actually equal to men's sport and women's beach volleyball is actually more popular than men's beach volleyball
2: And this is early 2000 this is like 99 2000
0: this is this is like in the early 2000s you know yeah. started, you know 2002, three four I mean we had five and a half million dollars in prize money. I actually stopped representing athletes and started running that tour as the commissioner for like five years.
2: Wow. And so, I mean, that's way ahead of your time because now it's something that is like, so I just, I'm not allowed to say it, but there's a women's soccer team watching in LA that's being very, getting a lot of attention. That looks awesome. Yeah. And they, there's a lot of talk there with, our, you know, the women won the world cup and are still sure. completely underpaid compared to men, but there's the argument both ways about, well, they get more, att- men get more attention and get more eyeballs, which allows for it. But it's a very prominent conversation right now. And you Almost 20 years ago, we're way ahead of it. And like, nope, everyone gets equal. You know, this is going well, to be more.
0: Well, here's the deal, Eric. I've been an advocate of women's yep. sports and rights for a long time, but the truth is, you either have the same respect in our culture or you don't. Yep. And part of the problem is that we are conditioned, men, to value athletics and only male athletics, and we're conditioned as women. Women are conditioned to value beautiful women and singers i mean if you look at the instagrams just look at instagram who's the top instagrams in the world okay on the men's side it's cristiano ronaldo lebron james yeah on the women's side it's you know uh uh, ariana grande and kim Kardashian and all that other stuff so you just see who we're modeling as a male and a female and then you know women's sports we just don't get the same level of distribution or coverage so then again the respect doesn't exist so you got to kind of get it to that point the reason volleyball was able to kind of break through a little bit is women were wearing bikinis and people were looking at it and going oh they're playing in bikinis oh wow this is amazing to watch this and then they'd see the sport and realize it was really cool to watch so yeah that's why you, if you remember misty may and, yeah, and my wife played in three olympics me peak and you know wow. so, that, so um it, it's a fun sport and and now we got it to become an ncaa championship sport so, so yeah. it's a big sport for girls
2: now yeah, no, actually one of our executives daughter is playing at the top level of high school and hoping to go oh, to- where does uh, she play she's down there she's in El Segundo or I forgot which high school
0: she might if she might play in my wife's club because my wife is oh, the they
2: college. just played in Orlando is that where the championship was. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a tournament in Orlando. Yeah, yeah it, so it, he was, was, he was out in Vegas and he was out in Orlando with her recently so what's her name. Shoot. Breeden's her last name. I'm trying to remember his daughter's name. Regan is uh, her last name? Breeden. B-R-E-E-D-E-N. Regan. B-R-E-E-D-E-N.
0: Okay. I'll ask Holly. Yeah. If, uh, I'm curious. Club.
2: Yeah. No, he, yeah, I told them we were going to be talking. He, I think you you guys have met before, but because he coaches down there too, volleyball. He, sure played, he played college. Oh, then <laughs>
0: she knows him. She yeah. Ask him if he knows Holly McPeak because elite, yeah. beach, elite Beach Volleyball is the number one beach volleyball club for high school girls in America.
2: Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, I'm right. sure he does because he's literally down the street from you That's guys so too. Much fun. Um, yeah. And so, so you started right when you started AV, is this early 2000s? You started transitioning yeah. out as an agent and focusing on AVP?
0: Yeah, I, I did for a while. And then after that, I became my, my good friend who founded Sketchers, Robert Greenberg,
2: uh-huh.
0: came to me and asked me to go to dinner with him. And he said, Would you consider coming over and becoming the president of our new? performance division and being the CMO of the company and couldn't help us with our marketing and so I said okay and I did that you know we actually you know you'll you'll love this we put in our first performance commercial which is for a walking footwear product Kim Kardashian I remember when she wasn't really that famous I mean she was just getting going she was just getting going and yeah I mean, it's funny i um I, I was i did the deal with her mom chris jenner and you know I still don't know them because I gave her her first million dollar check so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so we put her in the super Bowl and her I think she had like a million and a half twitter followers and it went to fifteen million the next day
2: <laughs> wow that's insane that's amazing and so where did you pull that from I'm curious like where did that come up that you were like, I'm gonna do this deal with you know, how did you know the Kardashians? You, I, I don't. Maybe you did know they were going to be as big as they are, but
0: I you mean, how do you ever really know? Yeah, I mean, right. What happened was, I'll tell you the, the story. I was thinking, my Robert Greenberg came into my office and goes, "All right, I'm buying a Super Bowl commercial. I got three months. You got to figure out how to get me a lot of exposure." And I'm like, "Oh gosh, what am I?" Sounds
2: like a founder move right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I, usually I did they, this help?
0: <laughs> yeah, they plan Super Bowl commercials usually nine, ten months out, yep. and they shoot them six months out, and. So three months before, he says, I'm shooting the Super Bowl commercial. Well, you got to help me. What are we going to do? And, and I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do? And one of my interns at, at Sketchers came in, and she was a volleyball player, and she was also a, kind of an influencer. And she said, there's this influencer, Kim Kardashian. People are following her. She's getting a lot of social media attention. It was just when social media was starting. Yeah, And I just remembered she had had a sex tape. And, I mean, at the time... But I said, I don't know if they're going to want her. at has sex tape. She's an influencer. No, she's really respected, blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, maybe it's worth a shot. So I went into Robert and I said, what do you think? He goes, well, she had a sex tape. I don't know if our customers would like it. But he started to realize that she was getting a lot of heat in social. So we came up with a plan that you would take social media, combine it with mass media, and that combination would be you know, combustible. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up figuring out a way where we would get a lot of attention for her Super Bowl spot. And the idea was Kim Kardashian – remember she was always having train wreck personal you know, relationship? Yeah. Okay, so the whole idea was Kim Kardashian is going to break up with someone in front of 110 million people on the Super Bowl. You better tune in and watch. So <laughs> – So I invited all the press in to the the shoots, the the commercial shoot, but we embargoed them so they couldn't go in. And she'd come out and do interviews and say, oh my gosh, I feel so bad, this poor guy. And they'd be like eating it up and they'd be writing articles. We got like 2 billion impressions before the Super Bowl even hit.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: So it was pretty good.
2: Yeah, you guys did a great job. I guess without ever being a CMO in your past, you figured it out pretty quickly.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I wasn't a CMO, but I was always a marketer. Yeah, and, and I learned a lot from David Stern, who is the commissioner of the NBA. He kind of took me under his wing and he had some, I mean, if you think about what we did with Shaq, those required a lot of sort of yeah, marketing, absolutely. you know, skills and thoughts. And, you know, you and I've talked before and in order to market effectively, I mean, you have to go through sort of a methodology and a system yeah. to get to the point where, you know, you're doing the things that are most you know beneficial to building the brand.
2: Agreed. And so I'm curious, what happened to your clients when you started to move towards sketchers and move towards AVP? Did they, did you like slowly transition out? Do you, did you, were you still advising for some or were you just like, Hey, I'm done. Here's some great people to help you.
0: Yeah, kind of. I mean, there's a guy that was working for me that, that one of my clients was Pete Carroll. Do you remember Pete yeah. Carroll? The famous coach. coach yeah. One of my cl- a guy who worked for me a sports lawyer went out of his own. And he took Pete with him I had narrowed it down to only a few clients because it wasn't as much fun working with just rank and file people as it yeah. is to work with somebody who's the best in the world. Right. Yeah. And one of you know, one of the things I write about in my book is how important it is to seek out and work with remarkable, either people or things, because yeah. you can put the same amount of effort into something average and remarkable and the, and the results are going to be measurably different. <laughs> yeah. So I did, you know, you know, just like you said, I sort of, narrowed down my focus. I only had a few clients. Oscar De La Hoya uh, was one and Bruce went over to work directly for him. And so it just sort of came down to that.
2: Got it. And so how long were you at Skechers? What years were those?
0: I was at Skechers like two and a half years, like from 2010 to 12
2: and a half. Yeah. Almost 13. And what, why leave? What happened next?
0: Well, I left because why did I leave? I, I think that you know, I sort of wanted to become, be a little bit more uh, in control. Mm-hmm. And the founder was a very, very, let's say, uh, what would the best word be? He was a control freak. And, and, and I love him. We we're still very yeah. good friends, but there can only be one boss. And in yep. his world, it was him. And he wanted to make all the important decisions, which I respect that because he's, built the company and it's his, he yep. likes to say it's his Picasso. So he has that right. But I wanted to make my own decisions and do my own thing. So we left very amicably and I still do sure. work for them. You know, we, we yep. still, I just have, I just spent four hours with them last weekend. So oh, we're, that's we're awesome. still
2: very close friends. Nice. <laughs> and what would that take you to? What happened then?
0: So, so then I said, well, maybe I'll go back and create some, uh, I created this thing called the World Series of Beach Volleyball, uh-huh. which was sort of a combination of an Olympic style event. And a, a music festival. Because you know, music <laughs> festivals were trending a lot. So yeah. we got the best in the world coming into play. And I had created for the FIBB, the World Federation of Volleyball, the World Championships of Beach Volleyball. And it's their most successful property. And so I thought that this whole festival thing would really be interesting and, and yeah. be kind of fun. Do you, do you follow electronic music at all? A little bit. I've heard of yeah. so yeah. he was one of our i mean we've had everybody from jack antonoff to cascade to mm-hmm. you know lots of different you know artists that would come down and play during our event so we did that yeah. for a number of years and
2: yeah. where were they was that in south bay or where was that we, we did it in long beach because
0: long, long beach, beach is, is the only place you can charge for tickets and you can have drink alcohol
2: on the beach <laughs> got it oh perfect good lineup yeah. 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 <laughs> nice i actually like long beach water i think it's underrated for people that are north of it yeah, for sure. And so, how, are you, is that something you still have going on? or
0: No, I stopped doing it because it wasn't. Sometimes you're doing something and you realize the effort and the risk aren't worth the upside yeah. and the reward. And it just wasn't. Now, I just, you know, I, I basically have a number of high profile CEOs that I consult with and so uh-huh. I advise, which is really fun. Yeah. Um, I'm building out a secret project that I can't talk about publicly yet, but I'm going to let you know about it soon. And it's super cool. It involves in a, it involves a sporting event, but awesome. Yeah. But it's going to be really, really fun. And I look forward to describing it and telling you about it. Yeah. Um, I'm also working on a, a a direct to consumer wine business. Interesting. Has that I haven't announced yet either. And I want to tell you the details, but not yet. (laughs) It's with, Someone who is the world's foremost creator of affordable luxury wines.
2: It's not the guy from Barefoot, is it? No, 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 no. Because he was on the podcast. (laughs) No,
0: that's not that. Stephanie Stephanie Gallo, who's a. Uh
2: Yeah, I know Stephanie.
0: Yeah, so she's a very dear friend of mine. And I met met him through her, but Uh she introduced us. But Barefoot's not affordable luxury. Barefoot's affordable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It. <laughs> it. <Fair. laughs> it's a value wine and it's yeah. the biggest wine brand in america
2: yeah no i know he and he's fun uh he used to
0: be see that's how i met stephanie because barefoot used to be a sponsor of my abp pro, pro beach volleyball tour
2: wow got it love how the small world works Yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes sense barefoot <laughs>
0: yeah no we won we won yeah. awards for the best end cap retail grocery promotions because we put sand on the ground a, b- a footprint and a volleyball, and people love
2: that. To- <laughs> That's fun. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. And I usually ask a couple of questions, but you answered one, which is what's next. Sounds like you have a lot of great secret projects coming out that we're going to have some exciting news soon.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I told you I wrote a book. You know, yeah. And that book's going to come out probably in the first quarter of next year. I know you wrote a book. How's that coming?
2: Coming out in February next year, I think.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's sort of on the same
2: Yeah, Uh, we were aiming for later this year, but it's like it's one of those things. If you don't get a book out in September, October, you want to wait till February, March. So yeah,
0: so that's that's, what I'm doing. So we'll be on the book tour together. Perfect.
2: (laughs) Get some travel in, and so last, and what's the name of the book, by the way, just so people can look out for it. Well,
0: the name of the book—it's really interesting—and Robert Greenberg, the founder of Sketchers, actually named it for me. There you go. So so one of my one of the people that I work with said, you know, you 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 love to help people maximize their potential. That, In fact, that's what Shaq said about me on numerous podcasts. And I interviewed him in front of a 1,000 marketing executives at Worlds. Did you come to that when I interviewed yeah, Shaq? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, so he said, oh, you helped me maximize my potential. Thank you so much. So one guy said, well, look, you, you help people enable greatness. And so I thought, well, enabling greatness could be kind of a cool title. And then Robert Greenberg said, you know, here's what you should title your book. You should entitle your book Managing giants, because you've had all these big people, but also big executives, you know, so that could be a really interesting overall title. Then if you want to say the seven keys to enabling greatness, then you can put that underneath it. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Does that make sense?
2: It makes a lot of sense. I like it a lot, actually. I think anyone that's trying to get into your line of work would want to read that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, I've had a lot of failures. I mean, you know, the thing that everybody needs to realize that if they're listening to this is, you have to, you know, go through the school of hard knocks and, and have resilience yep. in order to be successful because you're gonna to have to walk through a lot of walls in order to get yep. to and you're gonna have some great moments, but also at the same time you're going to have some disappointments. I mean, how many disappointments in your young life do you have? A few. Oh yeah.
2: And, and I think, well, and what's nice is, and like anybody says, what's the number one thing you've learned the past eight years of building this. It's exactly what you're saying, which is, it's always going to be something you're going to fail at things. (laughs) And it never ends. I I was at lunch today with a friend that just IPO would their business for, I think $5 billion. Like she she crushed it. And we had lunch today and I mentioned something about an issue that I had like a year ago. And she's like, well, yeah, but, you always have those. I still have those. Everyone's still. She's now IPO'd and made billions, literally, and she's still like, "Yeah, but I'm still dealing with the same crap. i just working a little harder because now there's a lot of regulation and other stuff to do." So it's like, if you're gonna get into this, you got to know that that is part of it. You're gonna fail. You're gonna screw up, and it it literally never ends. It there's no finish line.
0: No, I I know it's crazy, and yeah. you know what I found to be really helpful, uh, Eric. And I don't know if you've come to this conclusion, but i really try at the beginning of every day to set my mind and set my intentions for the day you know around the things that are most important and yep. i also want to fill myself up with so much like positive energy that it just sort of takes me through those you know challenges and 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 you know like if good things happen it just you know obviously puts wind underneath your wings but if you come into every day and every moment with positive energy, it's going to make a big difference, and 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 it's infectious because people around you feel it. Like when we talk, we feel good energy, right? You feel yep. this sort of like, okay, I'm inspired. Yeah, and that's what you've got to do: inspire yourself and the people that you're interacting with.
1: Yep,
2: I had my dad dated a woman that a long time ago. That one thing I will never forget, she taught me and I was, this is 17 years ago, she taught me this now, which God, I can't believe that I just said that. But 17 years ago, she said, Eric, every morning when you wake up, it's going to feel ridiculous, but just raise your hands in the air and yell, I'm a fucking champion. Just wake (laughs) up and do it. And this is, by the way, I didn't know her that well at the time when she first said this, but I got to hand it to her. It was a brilliant remark that like still sticks with me, not in terms of like, I actually wake up every morning and do that, but like the meaning behind it of just getting up and just telling yourself, having that positive energy coming yeah. in and waking up that way. It's, it it does a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you, well, you said throw your hands up. Did you hear about that study about body language and positioning and yeah. how that, that, that increases your blood flow, your endorphins, your this, your that, you know, yep. so I always, I put my hands up quite a few times just to kind of like, yeah, you know, tap yeah. Into yeah. that. To that source, you know, you want yep. to tap into that source.
2: Yeah, that no, makes sense. Well, Leonard, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for we coming did. on Hawk Talk. This has been yes. great.
0: I've loved it. And um, I look forward to getting together with you sometime. We should just sort of brainstorm about stuff. I bet there's something that we could do together down the road. I'm, I'm totally confident.
2: Amen. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. Well, have a great night. Look forward to you seeing too. you. And, and I'm going to bring that surfboard down
1: here soon. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free, identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts, all month to month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered.